Well, good evening, everybody. I'm, hello. <laughs> My name is Karen Waldhart. I am, uh, I'm the pastor of women's ministries here, and I love it. So I love my girls. We are impact women making and allowing the word of God to impact our lives to be a bigger impact in our world. And I know that that's why you're here tonight, because you're hungry for the word of God to impact your life. And I always say, you know, information is good, and I'm sure there's a lot of good information that I hope to share with you tonight. And I hope you're inspired. I hope there's some inspiration. But the most important thing is that you receive revelation by the Holy Spirit for true transformation in our lives. So that is where, that is where my heart is tonight. As I pick up all my extra stuff here. Um, recently, God dropped something in my spirit. And um, many times I just kind of chuckle because he has to kind of unpack it for me. He says, I'm sending you on a tour. Uh, and I said, a what? And he said, a tour. And he said, it's, uh, it's called an unapology tour. Because you need to learn to preach the word of God without apology, to live the word of God in this world without apology, not shrinking back in intimidation when the culture doesn't support what the word of God says. And so we live our lives without apology in the word that Jesus speaks. And so just watch out, I'm just getting started. But this is a message tonight, I'm calling it Pick Up Your Sword. And I want to just share with you something that happened years ago. And when I say that I had a vision um, I'm talking about what I would call an inner vision. So it was a picture that God showed me in my heart. Because you see, years ago, that same picture, that same monitor inside my heart had been hijacked by um, a spirit of fear. And it would play these scenarios that would cause gripping fear in my heart. And I thank God that today, without apology, I walk free from the spirit of fear. But this was during a time in my life when um, God was showing me something. And it was a, a morning that I was getting ready to teach. And so he gave me a story. And I saw in this picture a man outside like in a park and he was kneeling in the grass and I could tell he was in a desperate place he was crying out to God he was begging he was pleading he wasn't happy he was very troubled very very troubled now just go with this because what happened next was it seemed like the camera lens it panned up into the sky and I saw what looked like the heavens had been peeled back. And I could see Jesus kneeling on the edge of heaven, peering down and seeing the man crying out desperately for God to help him. And Jesus heard him and Jesus saw him. But what he said next surprised me. Because lying next to the man in the grass who was praying desperate prayers, was a beautiful sword. In fact, 
it was catching the sunlight. And so it seemed so obvious that that sword was lying right next to the man. And so there it was on the ground. But it seemed like the man was completely oblivious to its presence. But this is what I saw Jesus do. He cupped his hands and he yelled down to the man. He said, pick up the sword. Pick up the sword. But the man, for as much praying and in his desperation, never heard what Jesus said. Jesus was answering the man's prayers. And he said, pick up your sword. Because in Ephesians 6, 17, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what do we know about the Word of God out of Hebrews 4.12? For the Word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath and life of soul and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. That's the word. That's the sword. In Revelation 1.16, we see one more picture of the sword that I think is key. And Pastor Ryan, thank you for touching on this. Because Revelation 1.16 shows us a picture of Jesus. And it says, he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. Now, what do you think Jesus was saying, out of his very mouth came the words of God. And in his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So what is the sword? The sword is in your mouth. The sword is in my mouth. And the word of God needs to come out to fight our battles. How are we going to respond when we hear the devil whispering lies when something happens in our lives that is a bad report or something that's going to desperately change our lives? What are we saying and what are we believing? Are we picking up our sword? And I'm not talking about just spouting words. I'm talking about what we believe in the most inner part of our, of our faith. The deepest places of our hearts. That when we speak the word of God, you are sending forth something that is alive and energized and effective. So there is one thing that I cannot do for you tonight. I cannot pick up your sword. You are going to have to pick up your own sword. But we each have that sword. And the sword is, is really this. It's living and understanding the authority that is a believer in Jesus Christ that you and I have. And not because we're so spiritual and not because we're so strong and not because we're so mature. It's because of everything that Jesus did. Oh, the blood of Jesus that purchased that. Matthew 28, 18 through 19 is what Jesus said about authority. 
authority. He said, and Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. So here, when God created man, God gave man, Adam, he gave him authority over everything, didn't he? But when man sinned, Adam, man, gave that authority to Satan. Amen? And when man's authority was transferred to Satan, Satan brought in disease, poverty, strife, bitterness, pain, loss, lack, death. See, and Adam messed everything up on earth, right? So I always thought, someday I'm going to talk to that Adam and see what he was thinking. But why didn't God just grab the devil by the neck and throw him out and, and get him out of our lives? Well, God didn't do that because, first of all, he is a judicial God. And it was man who gave away his authority to Satan. And it was going to take a man to legally take it back. And that one man was Jesus Christ. Why he had to come in the flesh. Because a man gave it away. And Jesus, the perfect man, was the only one who could legally take it back. And so here it is. Jesus, walking on the earth, exercises that authority time and time again. He had authority over storms and the wind and sickness and disease and even death. And we watch him walk out this authority. Listen to this. Luke 10, 19, Jesus is talking again. And he says, listen carefully. I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will in any way harm you. Can you say with me all and nothing? It's not all or nothing, right? It's all and nothing. Those are absolutes. Those are absolutes. Jesus is saying the same authority that I have, that I am restoring, I am giving it back to you. And I see two things in here. He gives us the authority and the ability to exercise that authority. Exercise reminds me of a muscle. You need to use it. We need to walk in it. So we have the authority and the ability to use that authority that Satan no longer has. And you know, the only thing Satan has as far as the power that he can walk in against us is deception and lies. If he can get you believing his lies, then he's got you walking not in your authority but walking in his authority. Is it true? And I want to be careful here because I don't want anybody to feel condemned. But anytime sickness, pain, disease, anything that is trying to come against your body, what if we looked at it this way? That thing is trying to take authority over you. And when it 
runs its course in your body, it is controlling. It is in authority. But you know what? What if we looked at that and said, no, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over you. And that's what Jesus did. When the lame man got up and walked, Jesus had taken authority over that, that condition. When he called Lazarus from the grave, he took authority over death. And Lazarus lived. Is that a, a little bit of a shift in, our, in the way we view it? Because I think we're very used to allowing things to take its natural course. And I'm challenging you tonight to see that there's a supernatural course. And it's called the authority of the believer in Jesus Christ. Anybody tracking in here with me tonight? Any believers in here tonight? This is for you. This is the power. This is what Jesus paid so great a price. And I always think about the blood of Jesus, a perfect song that we sing. And, and we don't want to waste one single drop of his precious blood. And he did it. He did it. He conquered death. He conquered the devil. The devil's got nothing on us but what we allow. Spiritual influence is empowered by human agreement. You don't have to agree with symptoms. You don't have to agree with lack and poverty. You don't have to agree with those fearful thoughts that come, well, what if this doesn't happen or what if it does? Or this thing's never going to change. Oh, that's a, that's a favorite one of the devil. You know why? Because he's trying to steal your hope. You get hopeless and you will not pick up your sword. We have the authority, not because we're so powerful, but it's the same authority that Jesus walked in. In fact, it's the same authority that was originally given to Adam. It has now been restored back to us. And not only do we have the authority, we have the ability to exercise that authority. You know, I've actually been on staff as a pastor for about eight years. And I've had the privilege and the honor of performing one marriage ceremony and about five funerals. I don't know what that means, but um, I got a kick out of being able to say, by the power vested in me, by the state of Michigan, I now pronounce you man and wife. I just got the biggest kick out of saying that. And it occurred to me that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can say to anything the devil brings your way, by the power vested in me, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I pronounce you dead. You're done. I deny your right to stay. Because Jesus has given us the same power Viruses, cancers, new diseases. By the authority given to me in the name of the Lord Jesus, this flu virus will not come into my home. It will not come into my body. It will not come into my children. Just because Jesus gave us that right and the ability, and that is picking up your sword. So I'm recruiting you today. To find your voice and rise up and be willing to dare to pick up your sword 
in the face of circumstances that the devil's trying to steal, kill, and destroy because that's all he's interested in. Any kind of lack, any kind of disease, pick up your sword and we're going to speak to it because it will speak to you. It will speak to you. So I like this story because um, I've only gone on two mission trips in my whole life. And they happen to be about a year apart. And the one that is probably most uh, prominent in my, my memory is when we went to India. And it was an amazing trip. We saw miracles. We saw hundreds of people get saved. Um, it was true revival. And we ate lots of really weird things. And some very strange things happened in the spirit. There was a lot of warfare going on. There were people that did not like us being there, especially the devil. Anyway, so after the 10, I don't know if we were there two weeks or 10 days, um, quite honestly, we were all ready to go home. And once you're in a foreign country like that, oftentimes you get many invitations from dignitaries. We ended up in the prime minister's palace, which turned out to be more or less like a warehouse with red carpet in it. But, you know, you don't insult the dignitaries when you're in their country. And so... Here it was, the day that we wanted, very excited to go home. We needed to get to the airport on time. We get an invitation to um, breakfast at a minister of something. They had a lot of those people. So anyway, so again, we didn't want to be rude. So we took the invitation, but all the while had our eye on the clock. But as we drove through the chaos in the streets, they don't even have right-of-way. There's just masses of people and, and sprees and ox carts and people just kind of moving um, in, a, in all directions. And here we are in our bus. We're moving through the streets and just utter poverty, tin roofs, people living in squalor. And um, we get to this huge gate in a compound. They open the gate. And inside was the most beautiful grounds. And um, it was, um, there was a true palace this time. And it was just very, very beautiful. And they had set up a breakfast, um, yeah, breakfast tent on the grounds. And they were just treating us like royalty. It was really amazing. But we had a certain time that we wanted to leave. And so we got on the bus. And it began to feel like the minister of, I think he was education or something, was not going to let us leave. And he kind of kept standing there, and we're on the bus, and he's not opening the gate. He's not giving the order. Because, see, there were armed guards all posted on the wall with uh, automatic weapons. And so we're not going anywhere until he gives permission, right, and authority. So he, he's just kind of like wait waiting around, standing around, and finally, there was a little bit of panic going on in the bus. Somebody says, I don't think he's going to let us leave. And our team leader stood up to him and said, sir, I demand that you open that gate because we need to catch our plane. The last thing we wanted to do was miss our plane and then have this domino effect that we would miss every connecting flight thereafter. And the the minister of the interior or whatever he was, he just shook his head and laughed. He says, you Americans. He said, you're always in such a hurry. He says, that plane won't leave until I say so. And besides, we have the guns. Believers in Jesus Christ, 
Satan has been stripped of all of his weapons. When Jesus died, he rose again. When Satan thought he had him down, Jesus rose again and defeated death and the devil. And he has nothing. But we have the guns. Because he has given us that authority. And wouldn't you know, we got to the airport and that plane was waiting for us. In fact, he even put out um, armed guards in a jeep. And he, uh, they put out long poles with government flags. And they cleared the streets for us so we could get to the airport. So that's the kind of authority he walked in. But you know what? We have the authority because that's what Jesus says that we have. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what are we doing agreeing with Satan's lies? You know, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee. And the Amplified says, run in stark terror. Who's supposed to be running from who? What are we doing tucking our tail and acting like he's got more authority over us and what he tries to put on our lives? We need to put Satan on the run, realizing that you have the same authority as Jesus, and when Jesus uh, walked into a room, demons screamed. They recognized his authority. And I hope someday a demon screams when I walk into the room, because we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead alive in us, and we are—we have Jesus Himself inside. First John three eight says, "For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil." Destroy, destroy, completely decimate. Because I believe that freeing people from the stronghold of the devil has always been God's number one purpose. Jesus said, that is the purpose of the Son of God. So don't act like Satan's got more authority over you. The glorious truth is that Jesus destroyed Satan's power over us through his death, not just his death, but his resurrection. The devil was utterly smashed, crushed, and bruised. And the Bible says that Jesus went to hell and he made a show of the devil openly. And what that meant was he paraded him around with a great big L on his forehead. This is the loser in front of all of hell. That Satan, when he thought he had won, he had really lost and Jesus purchased that victory through his blood. Romans 16, 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Who's supposed to be standing on top of who? Believers. We need to know that the devil belongs under our feet. Not, we are not to be under his feet. You are not a doormat for the devil to wipe his dirty feet on. Jesus put us in a place of authority and a place of victory. But beware, because Satan will always try to attack your identity. 
And I believe it's the key for us as believers to know who we are in Christ so that you know that this authority really belongs to you. Because I don't think we have a faith problem. I think we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. But Jesus tells us who we are. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to Him and placed in a right relationship with Him by His gracious, loving kindness. God calls you righteous. Not because you read your Bible enough, not because you're here on Wednesday night, not because we're feeling really spiritual about ourselves this week. Mm -mm. He made you righteous because everything that Jesus deserved, he has given to us. That was the sacrifice. Jesus' righteousness has now become our righteousness. And righteousness is simply right standing with God. You have been made right. And guess what? It doesn't, it doesn't depend on your performance. And I know that's a tough one. But we never performed well enough. You never will perform well enough to deserve it by our much well-doing. But knowing that we've been made the righteousness of God because of Jesus... It empowers me to go and sin no more. It changes my want to. And so identity in Christ is so key here. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of one Adam, one man Adam, death reigns through the one Adam, much more surely will those who receive, okay, believers, we need to be good receivers, right? How much more for those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. A free gift has to be received like a gift. So can I hear you say who you are in Christ? Can you say with confidence, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Can you say it? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because I'm so good, but because he's so good. He made me acceptable. He made me righteous because of Jesus' obedience. I have been made righteous. That's right. And so that is why you can receive this authority because Jesus put you in a position as righteous to receive it and to walk in it and to see it work in your life. So your righteous identity gives you the, the right to possess that authority. And so we're thankful for that. So what does this look like, picking up our sword? We said, you know, you, you are a spirit. In your spirit, your reborn spirit, you are wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit. In your spirit, there is no desire to sin. In your spirit, you are on fire for God. But we have a mind will and emotions, and we have a body. And they all three talk to us. And whichever one talks the loudest or the one we listen to is the one that affects the way we respond. So what happens when your mind starts telling you 
situation's never going to change. You know, that doctor's report sounded pretty bad. What if, what if, what if I don't get well? What? Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, this is very scary. I really don't know what to do. Oh, God, help me. I, I just, I, I'm feeling hopeless here. I, I don't know what else to do. And the devil says, there's nothing you can do. You might as well give up. What if at that moment you picked up your sword and you said, what did you say? What are you saying to me, liar, father of lies? I will not believe your lies. I am a child of the living God. I have been blood bought, blood washed, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. That is picking up your sword. That is speaking truth to the lie. And now your mind is lining up with your spirit that says, yeah, that's right. You say it, girl. You go, guy. <laughs> Way to go, dude. Because now your mind, your will, and your emotions are lined up with the word of God. And guess what? Your body has to respond. It's in the minority. It's not in the driver's seat anymore. If you will pick up your sword, speak the word of God into your situation. Do not agree with the lies of the devil. And break your agreement by speaking the truth of the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Oh, I thank you that lies have been exposed tonight. I thank you for the word of God that is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And devil, you can't do anything in the face of the word of God spoken in faith. And I thank you that every person in here has not only the authority given to them by Jesus Christ, but they have the ability to exercise that. Remind us, Father God, by your Holy Spirit this week, that when that doubting voice comes, when fear tries to grip, when depression tries to, to descend like heaviness on our spirit, that we will raise up a sword and say, what did you say? I will not agree with your lies. And teach us to speak truth in the face of the lie. In Jesus' name, amen.